Hey, thanks for joining me for a brand new Sojourner Pod Week. Let's get into this. Well, Meredith Monday is upon us. I'm usually with Chris. Um, unfortunately, we missed each other again. Uh, we got this little tiny window that we've got to do this on. It's my Sunday, his Saturday night, and uh, sometimes it just doesn't work out. So we just have to roll with it. Uh, it's pretty much the only chance either one of us um, have. But So if you are really just holding out for that last chapter in Chris's book, don't worry, we will get there. Um, in the meantime, I'm just going to try and uh, take advantage of uh, this scenario with just a little bit of monologue from yours truly um, and uh, just to try and cover a little bit more material because we're moving pretty slowly through that uh, that exchange between Frame and Klein and um, chapter 5 in the book um, that Frame wrote called Escondido Theology the Escondido Theology so we've been talking about that for a while now and I'm keen to just take some ground um, and so uh, also the subject that we're looking at um, this morning is pretty cool because um it is about the pactum salutis. There is a cool word for you, pactum salutis. Uh, one of the, it's the eternal covenant, um, the Latin term for that covenant of redemption that was made um, by the triune God, uh, Godhead within eternity, uh, in eternity, and uh, within Himself, and really is everything that you have in the Bible as it's expressed uh, in time and temporally. The covenant of grace being that expression uh, of God's plan to save. Um, uh, together with the covenant of works, as we've already uh, spoken about. So, so what I want to do is um, go ahead and just kick us off by reading through uh, Frame's article, and um, or at least not his article, his chapter, and uh, just the paragraph that he uh, uses to launch into what Klein teaches, which is essentially a great summary. So he says, uh, Now we must recognize that Adam and Eve failed the probation by eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so if human beings are to experience God's blessings, they must be redeemed. Following the Reformed tradition, Klein holds that the history of redemption follows an eternal plan of God, right? So that's a frame telling us what Klein believes, spot on so far. He says, In eternal covenant with the Son, the Father in heaven had decreed that a new mankind should be redeemed out of a fallen mankind and emerges the consummation of redemptive, redemptive history as God's holy temple, New Jerusalem. This eternal covenant is traditionally called the Pactum Salutis in Reformed Theology. Klein describes this as uh, the covenant, uh, at least, sorry, the Father's covenant of works with the Son. Um, and the idea there being uh, Klein, and this is me talking not frame, but uh, Klein wants to just really highlight what's going on there uh, in terms of the parallel uh, of the Garden Covenant and uh, what happened, uh, what Christ would do as the second Adam, decreed from all eternity. Um, and then he adds, Frame says, the series of temporal administrations of redemptive grace to God's people are subsections of what we call uh, the Lord's Covenant of Grace with the Church. Or for brevity's sake, we can use the traditional Covenant of Grace. The Pactum is a second covenant of works. Um, because in it, the Father charges the Son with keeping the law perfectly and dying as a substitute for the sins of his people. Jesus is the second Adam, charged to succeed where Adam failed. So that's a really good summary. That's all from Frame, just reading that straight out of the book. Um, great. He goes on. Klein explains, Though interlocking these two redemptive covenants, the eternal and the temporal, are nevertheless to be clearly distinguished from each other, 
for they differ in several basic respects. In the eternal covenant, the son is assigned the role of the covenant's servant. Uh, secondly, this, the second party is the son in his status as the second Adam, and thus included along with him the elect whom he represents, and them exclusively. And thirdly, the operative principle is works. Contrarywise, in a series of historical administrations of the gospel, so the covenant of grace, uh, number one, the Messianic Son is the Lord and mediator of the covenant. Secondly, um, and this is where Klein and me part ways, by the way. Secondly, he says the party is the church, uh, both the faith, uh, both the um, confessors of faith and their children. Um, obviously, I'm not going along with that as a Baptist, but hey, you know, to represent Klein, there we go. And then thirdly, the operative principle is grace, not works. All right. So basically there, all the stuff you should be quite familiar with if you've been tracking with this for a while um, and just, you know, all frames doing there is setting up the basic structure of Klein's covenant theology and perfect so far. In fact, Christ did meet, uh, meet the conditions of the covenant, frame says, which Adam failed to do. God the Father honored his good works. As in the first covenant, there is a proper role for merit. The Son of God fully deserves the blessings that the Father gave him all authority in heaven and earth and the salvation of all the people that the Father had given to him. Uh, but as we saw, okay, so that, before I go on for, uh, to his critique, I mean, that's just what I like about that is it basically, it's really good to see, to, to be able to agree with the person who's critiquing the, the position. You know, he hasn't misrepresented Klein up front and um, that's just helpful. It's a helpful uh, way to way to talk. Uh, uh, we always got to try and, and make sure to represent the other party well. So moving from uh, that point on, but as we saw in the covenant of creation frame says, there is more than merit in play. Here. Now, if you, uh, you might need to go back a few Mondays or Tuesdays um, to find out where we dealt with this, but this w- would have been those points that I've been working through for a while. Now, because we've worked in such detail through the, um, what frame calls the covenant of creation, and um, and uh, no real problem there, but what we're talking about there is that covenant of works in the garden. Um, we walk through, walk through all of Frame's points, and uh, I, I showed you where I think um, where I think he goes, or at least doesn't level uh, any any problematic critique against Klein. And, and maybe there's some helpful cautions there. Um, at best, you know, just take him on board, but it really doesn't topple Klein's system, or what I would say is the. Um, the, the the correct system of, of uh, covenant theology, and um, and so now you know it makes obviously we, we don't have to do as much work because whatever what as Frame is saying here whatever applied then will just apply doubly uh, at this point. But he wants to hit it from this angle as well. So let's just work through his points here, and um, and I think we can move fairly quickly, hopefully. But uh, also now see why if you know if you understand what we were saying in the previous covenant situation uh, that will flow over into this um, this uh, scenario as well. So he says, these same and similar cautions apply to the Pactum Salutis, so the Garden Covenant and Pactum Salutis. I'll mention these, he says, using the same numbers I employed in the parallel discussion earlier. I found that helpful. You know, frame, at least frame, again, he's getting it and he's seeing what you say about the first Adam, you got to say about the second. And I appreciate about that about the critique. Uh, first point, Jesus performs good works to secure our salvation, but with him, as with Adam, and with us, the heart of good works is faith. So Jesus walks by faith, trusting um, the Father's provision, right? So the, the the critique there is, well, it's you can't just say it's about works, right? Because look, you have faith and works, 
uh, together there. <laughs> and so it's like, it's a bit of a head scratcher in that, wow, you know, um, yeah, we need to think about that. But the, the way to untangle that knot is simply, as I said in the previous um, instance, you just have to ask what kind of faith uh, is required. Obviously, there is a kind of faith that the law requires, um, and um, and that is inherent in the idea of obedience. You can't worship God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength without faith, of, of course. Um, but what we're talking about when we say faith uh, in a covenant of grace, where grace is the operational principle, not works, is that we're talking about faith in the works of another. Now, Jesus did not have to have faith in the works of another. And so just to rearrange what Frame was saying there, Jesus performs good works to secure our salvation, but with him as with Adam and with us, see, there's the problem. The heart of good works is faith in the works of another. I'm just adding those works, to, uh, the, those uh, that, that little expression, untangle what's happening over here. Now, it's no problem that we have to have faith in the works of another, Right, um, and this is because we're under a grace principle, and we understand the place of faith. Uh, but as soon as you start saying Adam had to have faith, faith in the works of another prior to his fall, well, I mean that's certainly not what was going on in the garden, and certainly that's not the case with Jesus. Uh, the whole point there is that he was working on our behalf. So, if anything, we trust in his faith. So, uh, you see how it just equivocates at that point if you're not if you're not careful to establish. The issue is not about the reality of there being both faith and works. The reality, because that's not the problem. That's never said against each other in Scripture uh, in, in those broad categories. It's just the covenant of grace and a grace operational principle and the covenant of works and its operational principle. Uh, the idea being well summarized by faith in either your own works or faith in the works of another. Um, so, I mean, I really, that point is incorrect, doesn't stand, not a, not a good critique against client system. All right. Secondly, um, Frame says, Jesus accomplishes redemption, not only because of what he does, but because of what he is, perfect God and perfect man. Now, that's again one of those funny ones, because that's absolutely true. No one's really denying that. So it, it feels like it adds an accumulative force to what Frame is saying, but it really just you know, amen. It's also true, however, that it doesn't change the fact that salvation did depend on what Christ did as one who was both God and man. Um, sure, it, I mean, nothing could be achieved if he wasn't God and man, but he still, that really is just a red herring to the issue. We're asking the question of whether merit was required in order to secure that salvation and uh, Christ's works if they were necessary as God-man. Um, which obviously there were. So, you know, I really, that, that point is, it lacks a bit of um, punch, but, it, you know, you can accept the truth that certainly uh, this is not, uh, Christ needed to be both God and man. This is what made the the atonement of a divine quality and much we could say if Christ was just man doing our works for us, uh, well, that's not going to help anyone. Uh, if anything, uh, Christ is just doing what was required of him as a man. Uh, if he is God, uh, if you're wondering what that sound is, by the way, that is my extractor fan that's now officially broken. The next question you might have is, why is there an extractor fan in my office? Well, it's healthy to have an extractor fan when you smoke a pipe here and there. And it used to be a garage, which was even better to have an extractor fan for. So anyways, there we go. Just don't be distracted by that noise. Um, what I was saying is, if he was just God, 
if Christ was just God um, and not man, well, at the end of the day, he he couldn't assume, uh, at least he couldn't save what he, what he did not assume. He must have assumed to himself full humanity in order to save us as humanity. So uh, I agree, you know, he, he, this is, it's not all that matters in this work of salvation, but that doesn't undermine the fact that it still mattered. Um, so again, I think that's point two, done and dusted. Uh, thirdly, his work is meritorious, um, Frame says, but not in any commercial, uh, commercial or mercenary sense. Uh, there is no suggestion in scripture that Jesus was given a quota of good things to do in his time on earth to, to earn uh, the Father's favor. Now, in terms of, uh, this is kind of circling in on, on what we said earlier about this commercial, commercial or mercenary sense. Um, it's hard to say what he actually means there and, and what exactly he is trying to put forward. All, all we're talking about, uh, you got condign merits and, and all those various categorizations of merit that have come out of the Roman Catholic Protestant squabble. I think um, the best way to think about um, merit is in terms of a pactum, uh, a merit that that's that's um that is covenanted so in other words a it's not a mercenary sense but an agreed upon sense in which someone would deserve something because it's agreed upon um that doesn't lessen god's fatherhood um i think i think that's that was well proven and established when we looked at this from adam's side the same is true uh in this instance Uh, god doesn't stop being father and become a business owner um because he makes an arrangement in a covenant and pact uh rather that that is very much part of being a good father um as we said last time and we do that all the time and it doesn't lessen our fatherhood not to mention the fact that um this is something that um is not divorced from any other attributes of god and relationship of god to to uh, his own son. Obviously, this is all organically related to the father's love for the son, and no one's ever saying that there would just be a commercial transaction that, you know, really just removed any sense of 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 love and relationship from the from the equation. But in terms of you know just getting that out of the way, the next thing would be to critique with frame saying, yeah, there is no suggestion in scripture that Jesus was given a quota of good things to do in his time on earth to to earn the favor. Uh, of the father well firstly he's not earning the favor of the father he always has the favor of the father Um, he is he is doing the agreed upon works of the covenant so in that sense they are kind of a quota of good things to do but obviously if you say it like that it sounds super random and it's overly simplistic Um, it would be a better way to talk about a life of pure obedience and one decisive act of allegiance to god in the defeat of the serpent uh, you see this. I mean, this is the whole thing with Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Uh, he's decisively declaring his allegiance to God, and he is defeating um, the the temptation of Satan, and you know, he is therefore conquering him, showing his obedience even unto death. Um, and you know, these, it's almost like saying, "Well, did Jesus not have to resist the temptation and die on the cross?" Um, well, of course he did. did. Did Jesus not have to live a life of perfect obedience? Well, of course he did. Now, you're not going to string that together as some random list of uh, a checklist that God has, but it is certainly a thing. It's an agreed upon idea. And so, you know, I don't know that I'm too, you know, too, too, um, 
too won over by that wording. But um, he says, my earlier criticism of this idea in Adam's case bears also on Jesus. We've dealt with that. But there are additional reasons why this idea is foreign to the Pactum Salutis. Now, here we get into some extra stuff. Number one, because Jesus already had the Father's favor, Frame says, um, before his ministry began, and I would agree with that, um, it would certainly be wrong, he says, to imagine that if Jesus had performed one more healing, or if he had suffered on the cross for 10 more minutes, this might have gained more of the Father's approval and perhaps even saved more people. Um, now, you know, no quibble there um, at, at, at a certain level, and no one's really denying that. I, again, I'm not sure who that's leveled against. It definitely Klein's not arguing otherwise. But the, if he's saying that um, because the Son had favor already he therefore didn't need to do anything in terms of his earthly ministry well of course that would be you know that would be wrong and um you know i don't want to think uncharitably there i know frame knows what redemption is but the reality is that it would you know christ did he had the favor of god but he needed to uh do the works that we couldn't do and that's really all that's involved in what what's being said by Klein um, and so why would one trifle with this idea of whether he had suffered on the cross for 10 more minutes or anything like that um, you know the only alternative I mean there is just no one could ever know exactly where that line was drawn this was uh, the eternal mysterious uh, pact between the father and the son but um you know, certainly something needed to be done, which is all Klein is saying. And so why why even challenge that point is is the confusing thing to me. Um, it feels like in some ways, it, again, like at its worst, and I don't want to think um, unkindly of frame, but, but at its worst, you know, you could see how that might indicate that one has actually missed the whole nature of, of redemption. Jesus needing to become a man to live as one who was favored by God, certainly this was declared at, at Jesus' baptism, yet he needed to live as a man led by the Spirit, even to that, that wilderness tem- temptation, not accessing his divinity, um, working by the power of God uh, for the sake of those he, who he came to save, uh, living as a man, assuming to himself full humanity, living in the place of men, uh, doing what was required of, of Adam and all in Adam. And, um, and so whatever that is, that's what Jesus did. Um, and whether he did more or less, I mean, wh- how could that affect anything in, in terms of what's being said? So again, it's a confusing point, um, but it's not confusing because I don't think I understand it. It's confusing that he would bring it up. Um, the thing it might indicate is that perhaps there is something lacking in terms of his own understanding, which I found I find hard to believe. Um, just, you know, thinking about uh, who he is and um, obviously Frame is, is very well equipped to deal with uh, theological issues and himself is a reformed theologian. So again, it's a mysterious point there. But then secondly, after that, he says his righteousness um, located both in his nature and his actions was perfectly sufficient to carry out the terms of his eternal covenant with the Father. Again, kind of a confusing point because no one's no one's challenging that point, so that's fine. Um, if anything, you know, I think it, it just indicates that, um, that that let's let's take it most charitably. That indicates just what he might be thinking is a danger of 
um, just using the term merit uh, to talk about what Jesus did. Uh, maybe, maybe this is the best way I know to unlock what's going on here. Frame is concerned that if we think about merit just in, in isolated, exclusive sense, and just run with that concept without reference to anything else of Christ's person and relationship to the Father, um, you could end up denying these sorts of things. Um, so it, it maybe is better taken as a sort of general critique against what could come of Kleinian thinking rather than a critique uh, against Klein himself, um, because that just really wouldn't stand. Um, okay, so with that in mind, we come to the fourth point, which I think flows well out of what we were just saying. Um, he says, although merit of his saving work brought him glory and honor, the chief concern of his heart, talking about Christ, was to honor the Father, John 8, 49, not to merit rewards. And, you know, again, that's true, but he honored the Father through his obedience to the pactum. So it, it sort of circles around in on itself. And the whole thing is that he honored the Father by seeking out the bride through his love for the lost. And, um, you know, that, that no one's denying that, you know, uh, Christ wasn't just exclusive. Again, it, it's sort of like he's taking this concept of merit and just going, this, this is what could become of that position. And look, any, any position can take on its morphed forms. And I don't um, deny that you, you can be, get um, people who run along with a certain concept and, and mess it around. But, uh, you know, to critique what could come of something, you know, is, is a different thing to critique what, what Klein himself has, has proposed. And so it doesn't really stand as a critique then, uh, strictly speaking, um, because certainly um, Klein would not be denying that, that Christ's goal was to honor his father. The Bible says it. Um, and he did so through obedience to uh, his commands. I mean, this is, this is what he was doing to, to, to merit for his um, uh, for the elect eternal life. I mean, this was all uh, uh, the, the whole point of the mission. Um, and so um, with that in mind, he says the father and oh, the father had indeed surrounded the son with love, with gifts, and with the power of the Spirit, like Adam, Jesus depended on the Father's uh, beneficence. Now we we looked at that with Adam. We haven't that point is not contested, uh, and that for that reason, that's besides the point with Jesus as well. If anything, though, the weird part about that critique is that that is what Klein is affirming. You know, uh, when we talk about Jesus um, going through that probationary period in the desert, and uh, when we talk about his earthly ministry, the whole thing there is it was. It was crucial that he lived as a man uh, who relied on the power of the Spirit. If he accessed his divinity, um, and Donald McLeod has written a fantastic uh, book on this, by the way, uh, the, uh, the Christology, um, oh, I think it's called The Person of Christ, or offhand, I think that's right. Um, but uh, just essentially saying the same thing that basically, you know, Christ couldn't access his divinity because then he, he really wouldn't be able to stand as a substitute for uh, the ones he came to save. You know, God didn't come to save God men uh, who, who could access their own divinity. He came to save men who had to rely on the power of God. And so that's what Jesus did. And so if anything, I mean, the whole idea of Jesus working to earn our, our uh, blessing is exactly what frame is arguing for you he's just saying listen um 
we have to keep in mind that this, when we say merit, it's not without the the, the beneficence of, of of the Father, and amen to that. Uh, no, it, no, it isn't without that uh, either in Adam's case, and certainly not in Jesus' case. Otherwise, it would ruin uh, the parallel and the whole work of redemption. Uh, fifthly, and finally, although Jesus completed his task at a point of time in history, that completion was the effect of an eternal divine plan. He did what the Father had determined would come to pass. So, like Adam, Jesus was not called to perform his work all by himself. Now again, fair enough, right? No problem at all. And then he closes off by saying, So, as with Adam in the covenant of creation, Jesus had to merit the blessing. So, see how he agrees at the end of the day? Uh, He had to merit the blessing. But merit is very limited and in some ways misleading, um, a misleading description of his work. And that's, I suppose, where the heart of the debate lies. Now, (laughs) I mean, that's semantic. Here's that phrase again that Nick and I love to throw around. Semantic, but not substantive. Um, At the end of the day, I like the term merit. I think it does a great job in describing everything that we have uh, just been working through. Uh, Sure, any term is liable to misuse and uh, to possible confusion. Frame hasn't thrown out a a, a sort of alternative um, term. uh, term or expression, but the reality is I can promise you that that would be liable to misuse as well. Uh, one way or another, we're stuck with words and we've just got to explain what we mean. And I think Klein's done a great job in doing that. Uh, he, he means merit in a very technical, very specific way. It doesn't mean that all these other points are denied. Um, and, you know, for those who are going to um, go ahead and and, and try and confuse that issue. Well, I suppose there's nothing you can really do about it. But merit's a great word to describe a covenant uh, that involved works. So, I like it. And um, I think I'm going to keep it. But uh, you go ahead and look at it for yourself. Um, and, uh, you know, I, all I'm saying is with, with this... So, here's the point. I mean, you, you, you're all of this. And, okay, good frame. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, it's just helpful to go... All right, well, we don't mean merit in this sense. And okay, well, let's keep it balanced in that sense. So, you know, amen. So if Frame just wants that to happen and wants us to not move in a certain sort of, um, you know, just extreme position, well, point well taken. Really appreciate that. Uh, Why not? But sometimes his critique gets a little bit misleading itself. And especially around those faith and works points. And we'll talk a little bit about this at some point as well. Uh, a large part of his critique against Escondido theology is to do with gospel and law. And, um, and he comes across in ways that are, uh, you know, you, can, you have to really battle to see the, the good in the good point that he's making there. Because it, it comes across as very unhelpful a lot of the time. Um, but uh, it, sometimes it, it even could be downright confusing. And at the end of the day, you've got to be very, I feel like when you read Frame on these issues, you have to be extremely clear in your mind. Otherwise, he will catch you and move you in a, in a direction you don't even know you're going. Now, again, I don't want to say that he did that on purpose or assign any sort of mischievousness there. But uh, it, it does it, it does get a little bit tiring sometimes. And um, it's, it's difficult to have to fight for things sometimes when, when you don't actually... You know, you don't, no one ever intended to say those things. And all of a sudden, you know, they're being brought into a question. It's kind of a weird situation. Um, But yeah, we could end off where frame ends off. So as with Adam in the covenant of creation, Jesus had to merit the blessing. Boom. There it is. Um, 
it's up to you whether you think about merit as a, as a good way to talk about what happened there. But uh, the concept must be uh, clear and held to, certainly. But on that note, thanks for joining me on Meredith Monday. And uh, trust you have a great week. Hopefully we'll get to talk tomorrow. Uh, bless you.